Revelation chapter 21. I went online this week and there are literally hundreds of pictures of somebody trying to depict what we're going to be studying this morning. I saw videos, quite a few of them. And um, after reading the scriptures and looking at hundreds of different pictures, maybe 10 different videos, I'm thinking nothing's coming even close. And I'm not even going to, I was going to put one up to give you some sort of a feel for it, but it would be so far beyond not coming up to the measure of what we're going to be studying this morning. Um, it is beauty beyond what any man can put into words. It, it will be our eternal home. And um, um, before we get into the chapter 21 itself, what I'd like to do is just look at some Old Testament and New Testament scriptures that foretell this new Jerusalem. So let's begin in Isaiah, and I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah chapter 26, for starters. I love this verse, because it deals with our home, but more importantly, it deals with a place for us to be set up aside while the Lord deals with the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. In Isaiah chapter 26, picking it up in verse 20, he's speaking to you and I. And I believe it's a picture of the rapture right before the beginning of the great tribulation. Verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, And hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Indignation is one of maybe seven or eight different words for the great tribulation. Daniel's 70th week, time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus called it a time that's never been or a time will never be. Here it's referred to until the indignation is past. Why? For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and no more cover the slain. This place of come my people, enter your chambers, I believe is a reference to the place that he's prepared for you. It's only for a moment. And in light of of the years that man has been on earth, some 6,000 now, Um, Seven years is just really but a moment of time. Turn with me over to chapter 65 of Isaiah. And in chapter 65, we'll look at verses 17 and 18, which are the first exact verses of Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. So, Isaiah 65, verse 17 For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the cross-reference there in your Bible and mine says, Revelation 21, verse 1. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I created. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now I have what they call um, um, an Nelson Prophecy Bible. And it sometimes highlights when you switch gears from eternity, mine in verse 20, um, it's highlighted in red and it has an M by it referring to the millennial. So we're switching gears from um, the 1,000-year millennial reign actually preceding verse 17. So, But I want to read it because there are some precious scriptures that are here. And this is now not eternity, but during the millennium. Verse 20. No more shall an infant live but a few days. 
for no old man who has not fulfilled his days. For a child shall die 100 years old. There is no death um, in eternity. Uh, But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses, inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the works of their hands. Uh, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. Nor shall they be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it'll come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. And this one we all know. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be serpent's food. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So in the next chapter, and there's one more in Isaiah chapter 66, also has reference to eternity, but also to millennium. Let's read the first one. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And again, my prophecy Bible is highlighted in red with an M next to it now. And it said, and it will come to pass that from one new moon to another. Let me just stop here and interject. One of the things that Revelation 21 is going to point out is there is no more. Not only sea, but no more sun or a moon. So here we have a reference of that still taking place. And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So there are several Old Testament prophecies that tell us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Let's go to the New Testament. Let's begin in, um, oh, John chapter 14. It'd be probably a good place to start. John chapter 14, the first three verses. What a great verse for the times we're living in today, huh? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now this is individual. There's a place that the Lord has created. We read about it in Isaiah 26. Go enter your chambers for a little while until the indignation is passed. But here he's telling me, don't, don't be overly concerned, especially with this world. Be comforted because I'm preparing a place just for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So in order to live in this place for all eternity, obviously there has to be a transition in the style of the body that we have. So I'm gonna have you turn next to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. And in chapter 15, oh, picking it up in verse 35, I find interesting because there was actually those in Corinth. Corinth was a pretty mixed up church. <laughs> they had, had a lot of problems going on. And um, there were those that were saying there, there is no resurrection. So he had to deal with that issue. And then he continues talking on about the resurrection. I think it was on Wednesday night or last Sunday we made reference that Jesus was the first fruits. What does that mean? Well, he was the first one to be resurrected with a resurrected body. I mean, for Pete's sake, he would walk through walls <laughs> to uh, get to where he was going. And with um, Cleopas and his friend, they're having supper and poof, he's just gone. And 
So he was the first one with this resurrected body. Um, Chapter 50, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish ones. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh for the beasts, another of fish, another of birds. Notice this now, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. In other words, our our bodies here made for this world to be able to withstand so much pressure involves gravity, which I don't think is going to exist in the New Jerusalem. So there's um, the glory of the uh, uh, celestial body and then there's a terrestrial body. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Uh, There's a glory for the sun, another glory for the moon. Now I point this out because when the Lord creates all things new, part of that creation is our resurrected bodies, which will be, um, it says in uh, chapter, I think it's 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Um, Now I know one part, but then we shall know. A lot of questions that we have. What's it gonna be like? What will our capacities be? Can we go in and out instantaneously? And it probably raises more questions. And like the scripture says, my ways are past finding out. You can give it your best shot. But um, these are our eternal bodies. And now we can look through a glass darkly. What does that mean? Well, we can read about it in the Bible. And, but it says, you're still not gonna get it. But then face to face. It also tells us that you will know even as you are known. So the next one I'd like to take you to is the book of Hebrews, New Testament. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. What we have in view here, actually we put this on the back of our menus at Pilgrim's Cafe, um, chapter 11, 13, um, 13 through 16. So let's pick it up in verse 13. Um, this is what we call the hall of faith. And referring to those who died in faith, in verse 13 it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now you know where we got the name Pilgrim's Cafe (laughs) from this verse. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? For he has prepared a city for them. And um, I'll make a distinction when we get to it. The city is for the bride of Christ, okay? But what we're gonna learn this morning in the study is that there's gonna be interaction between earth where um, Israel, the Old Testament saints, uh, they're not the bride. Remember what John the Baptist said? He said, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom, but I'm not the, I'm not the, the bride. I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. They will have access to the new Jerusalem, but that's not home for them. The new earth that's created, a new heaven and a new earth is where they will be. But here is a mention that that they will have access to, but it is not their uh, dwelling place. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Second Peter chapter three, picking it up in verse uh, 10, says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Uh, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, because all this is gonna burn, it's all gonna be gone someday. And because of that, Paul says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved and being on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for what? A new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Well, now what? Now we have another therefore. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. This is what we're supposed to be setting our hearts and our minds upon. Not, not the temporal. It doesn't mean we check out and um, uh, don't be ne- neglecting our jobs and our families and things like that, but it's a matter of priority, right? Good place for it, amen. Doesn't say seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So don't worry about the, the little things. Therefore, being looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So these are just several Old Testament scriptures that clearly talk about this eternal city, a new heaven and a new earth. And we have Old Testament scriptures and we have several um, New Testament scriptures. Now let's go to Revelation 21. And even though we went through these scriptures on the first eight on Wednesday night, I do want to read them again. Um, What we're looking at in these verses, um, those who will be there and those who will not. So here we go, verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and that there was no more sea. I was watching a program last night. Um, uh, the, um, one of those beautiful National Geographics where they, they show the, um, the incredible uh, creation of a um, fish and lobsters and these, just beyond describing. I used to think, I wonder if I could just think of a creature and I bet you the Lord's already, even as weird as it is, I bet you he's made one somewhere. And I started looking at some of these creatures and I mean, there are some really weird looking creatures out there that live in the sea. And, um, but there's gonna be no more sea. And it's a good part of our planet is made up of water and the oceans. No more sea. Uh, Verse two, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adored for her husband. I've done lots of weddings over the years. And um, uh, there's the looking forward to the day the wedding party coming down, and I've never seen a bride that wasn't beautiful. And that's what we have in view here. As we dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, we'll get into more of this verse next week as we finish the book of Revelation but this is an astounding verse right here. God himself will be with them and be their God. We have in view here the Father. Going on, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, 
nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow, can we get an amen on that one? No more pain, no more suffering. Um, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and they're faithful. And he said to me, It is done. Now again, what uh, you have to think of is the cross. It is finished. The work is accomplished. And God restoring and redeeming us um, the Greek is the telestai. In other words, paid in full. What's paid in full? My debt that I owed God. Um, the goal is perfection, which all of us fall way short of. Another good place for an amen. And it's all about this grace. And again, um, this is so important to understand in order to uh, fulfill the only commandment he's really ever given us What's the first and greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. The first and greatest commandment. But again, I don't think you can do that unless you understand um, what he has done for you. There's such a reaction that should come from here that he's done that for me that it creates... um, um, well, again, greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for a, for a friend. Jesus did that for you on an individual basis. Jesus did that for me. Now, that should create in us this attitude of what I like to call gratitude. And there's nothing more that I can do except to say, um, we love you, Lord. And what was that song um, sometimes people will ask me, I'm trying to find out what the will of God is for my life. Uh, will you pray with me about it? What, what is God's will for my life? And I said, well, I can answer that easy. I said, let's hold our Bible right here. This is the will of God for you, that you be thankful. That's the will of God for me? That's the will of God for you. Now, he might have a certain gift that he's given you that he wants you to use in ministry, but that's another issue. But the will of God for you is to be thankful. So we've made it up to um, the things that have passed away. Behold, the one who sat on the throne and said, write for these words are true and they're faithful. And again, he said, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes. Again, we're living in a time where the Bible says there's going to be um, the falling away or or the apostasia. And um, we certainly do see that. Um, especially in the younger generation. Church is no longer on their uh, plans for the week. And so the overcoming here means pressing on to the higher calling. Keep going, don't give up, no matter what you're going through. Um, Shall inherit all things, I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Now we spent quite a bit of time on the second death, either last week or Wednesday, I can't remember. Um, But now we switch gears from verses nine through 11 we're going to start to actually try to <laughs> try to describe what's indescribable. So in verse nine, and this is where Paul began reading for us this morning in our text. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues 
came to me and he talked with me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So it's actually moving. And he's watching it, John's watching it descend uh, from a vantage point that the angel took him to. And it had the glory of God. Now, in the Old Testament, we, we referred to it as the Shekinah glory. And when the children of Israel would camp, um, the Shekinah glory of God would um, stop right there. That's how they knew when to set up camp. When the Shekinah glory stopped, that's where they set up camp. And when it began to move again, that's when they broke camp, and they would simply follow the glory of the Lord until it stopped again. And so we, we have here um, coming down from heaven with, with the glory of God, and her light was a, like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I looked up this a little bit. This jasper stone is transparent and gleaming, which probably suggests one of these stones, most likely a diamond. The diamond seems to fit the description better than any other stone known to man. And the similarity, if you're taking notes, you don't want a cross-reference for this. Uh, The similarity of the Hebrew word for crystal in Ezekiel 1.22 to the Hebrew word for ice helps to maintain this view. In other words, the New Jerusalem is a diamond in a gold mountain, mountain, (laughs) mounting. Uh, The city is an engagement ring of the bride. In fact, it is the wedding ring. It is the symbol of the betrothal and wedding of the day of Christ. So we've been betrothed in the same way that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. Now, in those days, that was as serious as being married without actually having the wedding. Now, we've been purchased, and we're the bride of Christ, but we're still here. (laughs) But we're going to be taken to, um, I believe, the rapture of the church, or in Ed's case, he's already there, to the great, I mean, to the judgment seat of Christ. But that is just a place of reward. It's not the wedding itself. That takes place um, um, later on earth. So we find that, uh, if you're taking notes, that's Ezekiel 122. Um, I believe it's simply symbolic of, um, of, of a diamond, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Let's read verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, moving from this jasper stone on, on, that gave off this light, verse 12 and 13 tells us, also she had a great and a high wall, 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So let's just look and consider the gates for a moment here. So we have this city, and um, we have 12 entrances, and... We're going to find out that it's going to lie four square, and we'll get into those dynamics in just a little bit. So on the north side, there were three gates. On the south, there were three gates. On the east, there were three gates. And on the west, there were three gates. And uh, with them, these gates were the names after the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, indicating that they're going to have some participation in being able to come into the city, but again, it's uh, 
they are different from the church. Now in verse 14, we change from the gates to the wall. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we're going from the 12 tribes of Israel, which I don't think is a coincidence in number, to the 12 apostles. This city has 12 foundations. And the names of the 12 apostles appear on them. The church today, the here and now, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Taking notes, that's Ephesians 2 verse 20. When Christ returned to heaven, he committed the keys to the keeping of the apostles. On the human level, the church was in the hand of these 12 men. Uh, The book of Acts. Next week, we'll be finishing up Revelation, and we'll be going back, and I'll be reading uh, this verse that I'm going to read to you now. It goes, this is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And Luke says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now if we read the rest of that chapter, but he said, hold your horses, don't go yet. I want you to stay put because you can't pull off anything on your own strength. So I want you to wait until you've received power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we have the foundation. And what is the foundation? Well, the 12 guys. And I do believe that Paul is one of the apostles. And the reason I say so is because he says so. (laughs) And that's good enough for me. And when they drew lots for the other two guys, you never hear about those two guys again. Uh, When Judas took his life and and they said, there's got to be 12 of us. And they drew lots and um, never hear of these two guys again. Who do you hear of? Paul. The rest of the New Testament is all about Paul. Paul, an apostle to the church of the Colossians or whoever. So the foundation uh, is um, the 12. It's the, it's the, besides the Lord being the cornerstone, Ephesians 2, um, the early church, all these guys gave their life for Jesus. Except for John, he died of old age. The Lord wanted him to hang around so he could finish the book of Revelation. Now, 15 and 16 uh, deal with the size and the shape of the city, so let's read that. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length and breadth and height are equal. Will you just let that settle in for just a little bit? Um, We're now considering how big the New Jerusalem is. Now let's look at the shape of the city. It clearly says that the city lies four square is the simple declaration of what the scriptures say here. This would seem to indicate that the city is a cube within 1,500 miles on a side. We let that settle in a little bit. In other words, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles that way, and 1,500 miles that way. And it clearly says here that it is a cube. Dr. Seiss sees it as a cube. Dr. Harry Ironside sees it as a pyramid. And you could, um, there's people who have different interpretations too. Still, others interpret these measurements as in many uh, geometric figures as can be conceived. However, 
it's difficult for us to conceive or even think a cube or a pyramid being projected out in space. We are accustomed to thinking of a spear, like a ball-shaped object, something round, hanging in space, because this is the general shape of the heavenly bodies. As far as we know, there are none of them that are square, like a cube or like a pyramid. Cubes and pyramids are appropriate for earthly buildings, but they are impractical for space as spears are impractical for earthly buildings. Yet, it definitely states that the city is four square. Now, the difficulty revolves around when we think of a city as a cube within a crystal clear um, sphere. In other words, we have a cube, but now imagine it, that cube being covered by this diamond crystal on the outside. Now bear with me here because I'll I'll show you a picture of what I think is going on here in a second. Um, What we are given are the inside measurements. Um, Think of it as a big plastic ball with a cube inside, having all eight of its corners touching the outside of of the sphere. As this involves mathematics, um, a couple mathematicians and engineer involved in a space program were helped to determine what the circumference of the sphere would be, and they both came up with the same answer. To enclose a cube measuring 1,500 miles on each side, the circumference of the sphere would be 8,164 miles. The diameter of the moon is about 2,160 miles, and that of the New Jerusalem sphere is about 2,600 miles. Thus, the New Jerusalem will be somewhat larger than the moon, and it will be a sphere like the other heavenly bodies, at least that's what I think and other commentators do too. Maybe this will help you see it. This I'm gonna put up on screen this morning and what I just read, there it is. That's what I want right there. So we, we, you can have it being a cube, but remember when they first saw it, um, the angel described it as being like a diamond, clear as crystal, in other words, you can see through it. And when you go and um, maybe when you bought your wife her engagement ring, you went in and they show you this nice, beautiful rock and they put a lot of light on it and it, it has this refraction that comes off and we see something very, very beautiful. But it's translucent. It's something you can see through. So, you know... Um, I can't be dogmatic about this, but um, as we continue to follow this through, um, let's for now consider this as an option. Verses 17 and 18. Now we're going to um, uh, the wall and its reason. Then he measured its wall 144 cubics according to the measure of a man, that of an angel. Now, that is precisely 216 feet. And 18, and the construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now, the walls are 144 cubics in height. That's about 216 feet. Uh, the historian Herodias gives the estimation of the walls of ancient Babylon as 50 cubics thick. Now, they said you could ride four chariots abreast on the walls of Babylon, on their very, very top, just to give you some sort of perspective how wide the walls of Babylon were, and 200 cubics high. Those walls were built to make the city, 
nobody would be able to conquer it. The great height of the walls of the New Jerusalem are for beauty rather than for protection is the motive of what we have in in view here. It is a wall with jasper, but into it and its general designated as a jasper wall. By the way, the hardest of substances and the most beautiful gem uh, constitute uh, the interior of this city. So what we have in verses 17 as we try to start laying out this city, we're now going to 19 and 20 which are gonna give us the different foundations. I thought long and hard about um, trying to get a picture (laughs) so I could show you what each one of these looks like. And I decided against it and I'm going to um, uh, give you just the name of it and then the color that it would represent. So let's look at verses 19 and 20. And the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. Now, as we look at um, uh, jasper, the first one, its color is clear. As mentioned before, this is probably the diamond. It's a clear crystal. A reflector of light and is probably the diamond. And um, uh, that's according to Dr. Seiss. And speaking of the New Testament, describes it as clear and pure and bright as transparent icicles in the sunshine. All right, the second one is a sapphire. Now, the color of sapphires is usually the color is an off blue. Uh, this stone occurs in Exodus 24.10, if you're taking notes, as the foundation of God. Um, the next one after that is Chalcedonia, Adone. Um, and with that one, it's sort of a greenish color. And the next one, uh, the emerald, of course, is the color is green. Um, Robertson describes it as a green stone. Then we have the sardonyx, color is red. Um, the next one is sardis, the color is a fiery red. And the crystal light, its color is a, a golden, golden yellow color. Maybe you could call it mellow yellow, I don't know. Think about it. Only you old timers got that one. And then there's the barrel, or barrel. Its color is green. It's like the emerald. The topaz, the color is a greenish yellow, according to, to Robinson. He calls it the golden greenish stone. Uh, the crystophrasis is the color of a gold green. And uh, the jacksonith, its color is violet. It is the color. Um, the amethyst, I actually have a nice amethyst at home that I found, and it's purplish in color. So color is described to us as we look at the foundations of the city. These are rare and beautiful and precious gems. Uh, the color is described to us today uh, as um, it reflects the light. If you pass a ray of light through a prism, uh, it can be broken up into three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. And from these primary colors come all colors and shades of colors. Light is a requirement for color. Where there is no light, there is no color. Objects, objects of color reveal color to the eyes because of their ability to absorb or to reject light rays. For instance, a red stone absorbs all the color rays except red. It rejects or throws back to the eye the red ray, which gives it the color of red. The New Jerusalem is a city of light and a city of color. God is light. 
We, we see the things that we're talking about the Lord. God is spirit, amen? God is love, and God is light. His three main characteristics. And, um, and he is there. The city is described as a jasper stone as clear as crystal, and all of this color will be coming out and flooding God's universe. The jasper stone is a spear, and the city, the new Jerusalem, within, and the light shining from within through the jasper stone, acting as a prism, would give every color and shade of color in the rainbow colors that you and I have not even even thought of yet. The new Jerusalem is, I believe, um, a new planet, and it's inside this crystal ball, which is actually a huge diamond. And the presence of the primary colors suggests that every shade and tint is reflected from the city. A rainbow that appears after a summer shower gives off only a faint impression of the beauty and the coloring of the city of light. Oh, what a glorious place that's going to be. Let's look at verse 21. We've just talked about the foundations and the precious stones that are there. In verse 21, I want you to notice something here. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. And each individual gate was one pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. Well, we've all heard the term. Those pearly gates. Well, this is where it comes from. These are gates that are pearls, but the doors are always opened. And um, and then it mentions, and the street of the city. Look at that word caref- carefully. Notice it doesn't say streets, plural, but it says street, singular. So the street of was of pure gold like transparent glass. Gold as we have it today, if you have a gold ring on or whatever, it's not translucent. It's not something you can see through. This you can. So the, what they're using for asphalt in, in heaven is pure gold. And again, it's singular here. Now we get to the center of it all. 22 and 23. I saw no temple in it, in 22. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, there you have the Trinity. You have the Father and the Son. And they're both in the same place. And the Lamb is its temple. And a city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. Remember we talked about that in the Old Testament. Uh, That isn't the source of light. The source of light for the known universe at this time, including the light that's going to be on the earth, emanates from the temple where the Father and the Son are and the Lamb is in it. Now this is where I gotta stop and go, I can't describe this, okay? Remember when 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I know a man about 14 years ago whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But he was taken to the third heaven. And he says, I can't put it into words. He said, but the things that I heard, now the difference between what he heard, there's nothing about hearing things here, is there? It's all descriptive about its materials. But Paul said, I heard things that would be unlawful for man to even try to communicate. I would say the same thing about this. What we just read, I think it would be unlawful to have a city that's 1,500 miles in that direction, 1,500 miles in that direction, and 1,500 miles straight up. And at the very center of it, no temple, 
but the Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. That is the source of light. Now what's interesting to me about this is usually when you go to buy that ring uh, for your bride-to-be at the store, what do they do? They put the light from the outside so that you can look at it that way. Just the opposite here. This light is in the center, and it's reflecting through all these layers, 1,500 miles of layers out into the universe. Go ahead and try to figure that one out. It's like Paul saying, it's, it's unlawful to try to speak of such a thing. But let me just tell you this, my friends, this is your home. This is your home. And it's gonna be your home forever and ever and ever. And this is um, where we begin to see um, undescribable beauty that will be coming out of our new home. Let's finish it up 24 through 27. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Are there saved people on planet Earth? Yes, they'll walk in it. And the kings of the earth, see, here it is, they will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gate shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there will by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let's be clear as we talk about our home that we're moving into. All the nations shall walk in the midst of the light that we've just read. It does not say that they will live there, but they will walk in the light of it. In other words, the new Jerusalem, instead of the sun and the moon, um, will give light unto the earth, uh, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Um, So there will be a lot of coming back and forth between the new Jerusalem and earth down here. Not only will Israel come up there to worship, but the nations of the world, which have entered eternity, now we're talking about, we're not in the millennium anymore. Now we're talking about forever and ever and ever, our eternal home. This is the one that's never, ever gonna pass away. I try to wrap my head around something always being. And yet, we know that... um, this present earth, and the heavens are gonna be dissolved. That's what we read in Second Peter, but not this one. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but guess what are the things we'll be doing throughout eternity? We're still in the book. <laughs> my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will, but not my words. So for all eternity, um, it will be our permanent abode. Uh, But they will come up to worship. I believe that the church will be the priests at this time. Uh, We are told that we are a priesthood of believers. And when I think of all this, and um, I think of all the craziness that's going on in the world today, um, that's all temporal. Gang, this is as bad as it's ever gonna get uh, for us. For those who have accepted Christ, you have a a home not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And it got me wondering as I was studying this week. I thought, I wonder what my place looks like. (laughs) And what level is it on? Am I on the 1300th mile up? And uh, 700 miles in, and uh, it just makes your, your mind boggle. But John 14 clearly says that um, I go to prepare a place for you, individualized. Don't each of us have different things in the way we want to decorate something? Um, your husband has one opinion, and your wife has another opinion. Can I get an amen on that? 
That would look terrible if he put that there. That's the worst, worst cover you could come up with. No, no, no. This is just being made for me. In heaven, there is no marriage. We'll be like the angels. And don't think you'll be sitting around some college playing a harp. No. We'll, we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ in some sort of administration role on planet Earth. And I believe the travel distance is instantaneous with the new bodies. So, you know, the more I thought about this, um, especially these days, I've never really felt at home here since I became a Christian. I never really felt at home anymore. Um, as a kid, you know, you grow up and you say, well, I grew up in this house and this is where the family was raised and that'll always be home. Well, then you turn 13 and then that all changes. And, and so you never really feel at home. I'm gonna close with having you look at Colossians 3 this morning. Book of Colossians 3. And I really don't feel at home. And the good news is that the Lord has prepared a place and I believe it's gonna be designed the way that you would like it but in your wildest dreams. More beautiful, Lord you know that I like this particular color or this something here, you know me. He knows all things. And I think when you see your place that he's prepared for you, you're gonna go, it's perfect. It's, you couldn't add anything to it or take any way thing from it to make it any more than what I would want it to be. So in Colossians, I'm gonna leave us with this thought. And this is so helpful in the times in which we live. Um, and as crazy as the world is today, I just want to close with the first four verses of Colossians chapter three. If then you are raised with Christ, all right, I have to stop right there. Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you going to be raised? Is your name in the book of life? These are the most important questions that you can ask yourself. Anything else is incidental and is gonna pass away. So if you are born again and you're risen with Christ, then it tells us what to do. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, if you're born again, that's what we're to be thinking about. Set your mind on things above. Well, what's above? Well, we just got done studying at my friends this morning. This new Jerusalem, with, which is indescribably beautiful. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. For you died. That's what baptism symbolizes. When somebody gets saved, we baptize them. And they go down into the water, we tell them it's just symbolic. It's symbolic of an old life that's passing away and a new one that's coming forward. Just like Jesus died and he came forward with a resurrected body. And you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, what a verse, who is our life, not a part of our life, not a portion of my life, but who is our life appears then you will appear with him, where? In glory. I think that's a pretty good way to end it, amen? Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through a book that was mostly filled with the great tribulation and your judgment upon the world, we started our study by saying that you're gonna, put us in a place and to go to our chambers and stay there until the indignation is over. It'll only be for a moment. Lord, the things that we've read about this morning, help us take them to heart and really seek those things that are above. What's above? The new Jerusalem. 
our eternal home, more beautiful that can be put into human description or words. And uh, your word tells us, Lord, that where our treasure is, that is where our heart is also. So Lord, help us take to heart your word this morning and look forward. We pray that your kingdom would indeed come. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.